0: Children. the mighty Well, amen. Let's take our Bibles today and turn over to the book of John, John chapter 20. We're going to read just one verse to kick things off today. John chapter 20, verse 21. This is the month of missions, and uh, we're excited about our missions conference coming up. And again, the 14th through the 21st, looking forward to that. Again, we'll be taking up our faith promise offering on the 21st, but we'll be having preaching services on uh, not only all day Sunday, and of course, Brother Booth with us Sunday night, but boy, like was mentioned already, I'm telling you, you don't want to miss. Brother Smith, he's going to do a fabulous job, he'll do a great job. He's kind of a character, uh, and so we'll see what he comes up with. I don't know about this guy, sometimes to be honest with you, but he's an interesting guy, and uh, you know, not, I guess, in a bad way, depends on how you look at it, but anyway, we'll see how he does. He'll do great. I'm sure he'll preach well, uh, but I just don't know what to expect from him every once in a while. He'll probably try to be very sophisticated here in the pulpit at Community Baptist Temple, but he's not sophisticated no he's not remotely sophisticated okay so anyway we'll have a good time though he will reach out with the gospel with the truth of the word of god and i believe all of us will be blessed and encouraged and i'm looking forward to it and I'll tell you what you know as we move forward in not only our ministry but in our in christianity boy we're looking for the next generation to come up and fill the gap you know to make up the hedge and he's one of those young fellas now he's what in his mid 30s probably He looks like he's probably 45, but he's really not. But no, I'm teasing. But anyway, uh, but no, really, he's a young guy, and he's doing a fabulous job, doing a real good job there in that ministry, as well as he preaches a number of places. He's he's actually sought after quite a bit, more than what you you may expect since he's part of a mission board, but he does. He preaches around the country. You're going to enjoy him. He's a blessing, and he'll be an encouragement to all of us. John chapter 20. So as with the the idea of uh, kicking off uh, Missions Month, I want to kind of direct our attention on Sundays to missions, at least Sunday mornings. And so John chapter 20, verse 21, there in that particular passage, we read, it says, Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father has sent me, even so send I you. Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. It needs to be stated that missions began in the mind of God long before mankind was ever created. Christ himself came as a missionary, if you will. I guess you could say it that way. I mean, and then he ultimately sends out his followers and says, Listen, Uh, you know what, I want to send you out like I was sent out. And so in a sense, if you will, Jesus Christ was a missionary coming to a world that he did not belong in, into a foreign land where he would minister and reach out to those he loved and cared for. I mean, that sounds a lot like missions to me. And then he turns to his disciples and he says to them, guess what? He says, As my Father has sent me, even so send I you. So basically, he's commissioning now his disciples, and he's telling them, guess what? You've got the same job that I had. You're going to be sent out to love and to lead and to ultimately reach a world with the truth, the truth of my death, burial, and resurrection. Now, this commission would be restated over and over again in a number of ways early on in the New Testament. And this morning, basically, I want to take just a few moments And I want to consider the early church. And then I want to to make an application, ultimately. I want to state a couple of things that are true and try to help us to wrap our mind around this idea, this thought, this prospect of missions. Because I believe early on in the book of Acts, we're going to see this missions program that the Lord Jesus Christ set in place begin to really take off. And so let's go ahead and take a few moments have a word of prayer, and then we'll look at the book of Acts, we'll consider the portion of Scripture needed, and then we'll make a few statements that I believe will be helpful and ultimately kind of begin or kick off our month of missions in a very productive, positive way. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for this opportunity to gather today, this morning, and we just ask, Lord, that you would just meet our needs here. Now, Father, you promised that wherever two or more were gathered, you would be in the midst. I'm asking you, I'm begging you now to truly show yourself real on our behalf. May you, Father, allow me to be your mouthpiece today. May you fill me with your spirit. And Lord, may those that are here in the pews and those that are seated today, may they, Father, listen and hear your voice. And Father, may you speak to them very clearly. Lord, may we be more convinced than ever that as a church we have a responsibility. As individuals we have a responsibility to go forth and reach the world with the gospel. Bless us and help us, Lord, not to lose sight of what you, Father, came and died for. And that's the souls of men and women and boys and girls. Lord, we love you. We thank you. In Christ's name, amen. So as we begin and we consider the book of Acts, turn if you would to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. We know that the Lord Jesus Christ had died on Calvary and that he rose again. And now he's going to give a final farewell to his disciples here in the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 8, we're going to read what is often referred to as the Great Commission. It's basically just the Lord Jesus Christ commanding his disciples, setting their mar- giving them their marching orders and helping them to recognize and understand what would be his calling for their life. Notice what he says here, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He says simply this, he says, "...but ye shall receive power." After that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Acts chapter one, verse eight has been a passage that has been preached for years and years and years, and has often been referred to, as I said already, the Great Commission. So the Lord Jesus Christ now directs his disciples, and he says to them simply this there's coming a day, and it won't be long, and we found out later it'd be about ten days later after he ascended. But the fact was he says is I'm going to send the Holy Spirit of God and you're going to be filled with the Holy Ghost you're going to be empowered to do a work and a mission you're going to be doing my work my mission and that mission is to be a witness everywhere you go even unto the uttermost part of the earth well I'll tell you what that's a pretty large task if you ask me But that's exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ left the church to do, left the disciples to do. Now listen, don't get caught up or mixed up in this idea, well, he gave that to the disciples so it didn't go past the disciples. No, they were the foundation of the church. And may I say that ultimately, even in the book of Revelation, you find evidence of that. So don't think for a moment that God is finished with the apostles. And don't think for a moment that they didn't represent the church. And don't think for a moment that we no longer have a responsibility to fulfill the great commission as stated in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. We see the plan, and the plan is pretty simple. Ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. But there was a problem. If you'd read through the book of Acts chapters 2 through 7, what you're going to find is that the church began to experience tremendous, tremendous growth in Jerusalem. Some have estimated that the growth in Jerusalem ultimately attained up to twenty-five to 50,000 people that had come to Christ that the church was just just blowing up. It was just growing by leaps and bounds, multitudes upon multitudes coming to Jesus Christ. The problem was that their success locally did not substitute for obeying Jesus' orders to reach out to the rest of the world, though. I mean, they were growing like gangbusters and they were seeing God work in a mighty way. And they were just amazed by the miracles that the the Lord was giving and allowing there in that city and around that general area. But however, the problem was, is that God, the Lord Jesus Christ had commissioned them. He had ordered them. He had given them a job. And that job was not simply to reach out to Jerusalem. That job was to go much further to Judea and to Samaria and ultimately to the uttermost part of the earth. That was a problem. I don't know why the people of God chose to remain in Jerusalem. Maybe it had to do with the fact that they had been born there. Maybe it was that their roots had grown there. Maybe it's that their families were found there. Could it be that their jobs and their livelihood was found there? Could have been a number of reasons why they chose to remain in Jerusalem and not fulfill the great commission as stated by the Lord Jesus Christ at his ascension. However, that was a problem for God because his his scope of things certainly was much larger than the scope even of the apostles and the disciples of that day. He saw the world. They only saw their area. And God ultimately said that is a problem. So we see the plan and the problem. But then we find over in chapter 8, turn there if you would please, verse 1, we find basically if you would the solution to the problem, which was persecution. Now that seems very difficult to wrap our minds around okay so the church was not expanding this way wide it was expanding this way there's nothing wrong with the church growing this way however god's intent for every ministry and for every every uh, uh work of god is to not only grow this way but to grow this way and so in 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 order to ensure that that took place that all people would be reached in the world, God had to do something to stir the disciples. Persecution. In Acts chapter 8, verse 1, notice the Bible says, And Saul was consenting unto his death. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the the regions of, this is interesting that he states this specifically, Judea and Samaria. Well, we found over there in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria. Interesting, isn't it? So now as a result of this persecution, the Bible tells us that they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hauling men and women, committed them to prison. Yes, indeed, that is the same exact Saul who ultimately will be a a light in a dark world. He will ultimately be the apostle Paul who will go out and reach the world with the gospel, yes. But at this point, he is persecuting the church mercilessly. And we find here... That there is a plan that God put in place. The problem was that, that the people of God were not fulfilling the plan as God intended. They were busy about work and they were active and, and engaged in the, the ability, uh, the, the opportunity of reaching souls, but they were not fulfilling the commission as God intended. And as a result, that was a problem. And that problem was remedied by persecution. All were persecuted. But the people were the the ones who were scattered. And they were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Now we see the preaching taking place now. Watch what transpires here. We look at verse 4 of chapter 8. We've read verses 1 through 3, but notice verse 4 now. We see, therefore, they that were scattered abroad. Who was scattered abroad? The people were scattered abroad. Remember here, earlier on, it says here at the end, it says... And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. You know what he's saying? He's saying, listen, everybody was scattered abroad except the leadership. They remained back in Jerusalem. They apparently had some sense or some course of uh, some kind of, 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 of head, headquarters there or something. But the fact was, and, and I'm not talking about a hierarchy, I'm not talking about that kind of thing, but I'm saying at this point the church is all rooted there in Jerusalem and God sent persecution and spread them abroad. The, deci- the, the apostles remained behind and everyone else was scattered. And the Bible tells us, therefore, they that were scattered, the people, not the preachers, the people, went everywhere preaching the word. Isn't that amazing? These people, these new converts, these babies in Jesus Christ who were being persecuted, they went everywhere preaching the word. By the way, you don't have to be a preacher in a pulpit to preach and proclaim the word, you can just be a people. Isn't that great? You can have the privilege and the opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, and you don't even have to be paid staff. Isn't that wonderful? That's wonderful. So we're told that they're scattered, and they go everywhere preaching the word. And again, in Acts chapter 8, we had seen that they were told that they were to go as far as Uh, excuse me, in Acts chapter 8, we saw that they went as far as Samaria. Remember? Judea and Samaria. But in Acts chapter 11, interestingly enough, we see them literally reaching to the uttermost part of the earth. Look at Acts chapter 11, verse 19. Therefore, the great commission, the command of God in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, is being fulfilled in the lives of these believers. Notice what it says here. Acts chapter 11 verse 19, now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen, chapter 7, chapter 8 is the persecution that we just read about, links it right back. We can't say this is a different persecution. It's the same one based on the word of God. These very ones, not the preachers, but the people now, are scattered abroad They go to Judea, Samaria, and now we find in Acts chapter 11 that these very same ones that were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. We're going to find that that's going to change soon. Because the apostle Paul got saved back in Acts chapter 9, and now he's going to be sent out in Acts chapter 13, and may I say that he is going to go throughout all the region and boy, I'll tell you what, these believers along with him are going to make the difference. Now these are, have gone further than Samaria. They are now into the uttermost part. And it says here in the passage, And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians. They're talking to some Gentiles now. Preaching the Lord Jesus, and the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. So what we find here is that the plan of God is definitely working. It's happening. It is if in one case someone may say well it's very unfortunate that persecution had to take place. I got to believe that the persecution is what spearheaded this revival of witnessing. I believe that it made the difference. I'm not saying that I want to be a part of that persecution. I'm not even telling you that I hope America is in persecution. I don't want to have my family separated from me. I don't want to end up in prison while my children try to fight and fend for themselves, so to speak. I don't want that to happen in my heart, and my mind. But may I say to you today that even as the early church endured persecution, could it be that America would be better off spiritually with it? I'm just asking the question. It seemed to make a very real impact in the early church and around the world. So, what do we learn? What do we learn? Number one, the gospel will always be met with opposition. I don't care where you go with the gospel. It doesn't matter what you do. If you truly take the gospel and you are unapologetically on God's side and you take a stand for the word of God and the witness of Jesus Christ and the resurrected Christ, sooner or later, my friend, you will experience persecution. You will endure opposition. Look in Matthew chapter 10, verse 16. Jesus Christ himself made it clear to his disciples that, listen, the Christian life is a wonderful life, but let me tell you, not everybody's going to be as happy with you and for you as you would like. Look, he says in Matthew chapter 10, verse 16. So early on, remember now, this didn't just begin with Acts chapter 1. Man, this goes back, because Jesus himself said, even as I've been sent, I'm sending you. Notice he says in Matthew 10, verse 16, Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Oh, thank you. Be therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to the councils, and they will scourge you in their synagogues. Scourging is physical, by the way and ye shall be brought before governors and kings for my sake for a testimony against them and the gentiles and when they deliver you up take no thought how or what ye shall speak for it shall be given you in that same hour which what ye shall speak for it is not uh, for, excuse me for it is not ye that speak but the spirit of your father which speaketh in you and the brothers shall deliver up the brother to death, and the father the child, and the child children shall rise up against their parents and cause them to be put to death. And ye shall be hated of all men and for my name's sake. But he that endureth to the end shall be saved. Does anybody know where that passage links up to? And again, it's very important to understand this because right there, if you're not careful, somebody's gonna go, oh, we can lose our salvation. That goes right over to Matthew chapter 24. And let me tell you something, there's a period of time coming when that statement will be absolutely true and it's found in the tribulation period. You take the mark of the beast, I don't care how many times you pray, Jesus, save me. My friend, if you take the mark, you are not going to heaven. Listen to me, I'm not trying to be... I, I, listen, I'm just telling you, because this is confusing. Except you endure to the end. Well, what in the world does that mean? Endure to the end of this age? Endure to the end of my life? Endure to what? Endure to the end of the tribulation, according to Matthew 24. You've got to rightly divide the word of truth. If you stop rightly dividing the word of truth, you're going to be very confused. So don't allow that to shake you. But in this passage, he's addressing future events. He's talking about the, the, the direction that witnessing will go. He's saying, listen, if you hold my word up and you proclaim its truths, let me tell you what, you are going to endure some opposition and even persecution. Even all the way through. He says, but when ye, verse 23, he says, but verse 23, uh, Two, and ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, but he that endured to the end shall be saved. But when they persecute you in this city, flee ye to another. And by the way, that will happen big time, especially in the tribulation period with the Jewish people. But he that endureth, excuse me, but ye shall not have gone over the cities of Israel till the Son of Man become. The disciple is not above his master, nor the servant above his Lord. It is enough for the disciple that he be as his master, and the servant as his Lord. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more shall they call him of his household? You got a devil. What's your problem? You're out of your mind. You're a lunatic. You're crazy. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. You're nuts. If they thought that of me and they thought that I was Satan himself, won't they think you are too at some point? I'm saying in our culture, in our country, we are blessed today because of the freedoms that we address. We are thankful for the religious freedoms we have. But my friend, don't you think for a moment that they couldn't take those freedoms away. You put the wrong person in office, my friend. We're going to lose every one of those rights that we have. And it's coming quick. And when it does happen, let me tell you, that prophecy that goes all the way into the tribulation period will become very real in our own lifetime. You better be careful. Pray to God. Be thanking the Lord for the privileges we have in America to have freedom to preach and proclaim the gospel. But my friend, they want to strip us of those rights. Be very careful. You better make sure you get out and vote for the right candidate. You better make sure that you know where they stand on religious freedom. Because it may be your children that will pay the price for that decision. Now, we see this horrible situation here of, of this persecution taking place. Before we cry foul or before we state why that's so unfair, we may want to look at, again, how persecution effectively advanced the cause of Christ down through the years. Every generation that experienced persecution really came out of it stronger than those who did not have it. It's amazing, really. It's interesting. In the the northeastern United uh, States, codfish are a big commercial business. Of course, I mean, fishing is on the, the coast anyway. But codfish are a big commercial business. Now, there's a market for eastern cod all over the place, especially in the sections furthest removed from the northeast coastline. So people always want these cod. They want to to enjoy them. They want to eat them. But the public's demand posed a very serious problem for the shippers at one point. At first, they froze the cod. If we can freeze the cod, then ship it wherever it needs to go. That ought to take care of it. The only problem was, is that by freezing the cod, it had a tendency to basically remove much of the flavor. So they experimented with shipping, and they decided, we'll try to ship them alive in in tanks of seawater. Keep them alive till they actually arrive, and then we'll go ahead, and and, and they can be killed, eaten, and so forth. Uh, But that proved even worse. Now, not only did the cod still lose their flavor, but they became soft and mushy. The texture was seriously affected. It was was horribly affected. Finally, there was some fella, a very creative person, solved the problem. And they solved it in a very innovative fashion. The, The codfish were placed in the tank of water along with their natural enemy, the catfish. They actually put a catfish in with the cod. And the time, and from the time the cod left the East Coast until it arrived in its westernmost destination, that ornery catfish just kept chasing and chasing those cod all over that tank. You guessed it, though. Because when the cod arrived at market, they were as fresh as they were coming out of the sea, as when they were first caught. See, there was no less flavor, and their texture wasn't affected. They'd been swimming, they'd been moving, they'd been active the whole time. If anything, they might even be better than what they were before. You know, what's true about those codfish is also true about the church. The truth is is that the struggle only strengthens the church. And it ensures it remains pure and sweet. But when we get lazy and we fail to follow through with the call of God and the commission of God, then the church gets flabby and becomes basically stinks in the nostrils of God. The gospel will always be met with opposition. Number two, God's plan for world evangelism always includes people. God's plan for world evangelism always includes people. Ian Bounds made a statement that I just love. He said, God's plan is to make much of the man, far more of him than anything else. Men are God's method. The church is looking for better methods. God is looking for better men. Well, the church is always looking for a better means or a better method to reach the world, to make an impact in the culture we live in. But not God. God's looking for better men. God's looking for better women who will rise up and say, listen, I'm going to serve the Lord and I'm going to take an active role in this and I'm going to be positively moved by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Looking for those that will be strong in the midst of even persecution if necessary. Better men, better women. That's what makes the difference. See... God's plan for world evangelism always includes his people. In America, we've been taught that you can buy about anything with money. You know, if you've got enough money, you can buy about anything you want. And I say about because I know that you can't buy peace with it. And you can't buy life with it. I don't care how rich you are. But the fact is, we've been taught you can almost buy anything you want with money. I'm concerned that that mindset has somewhat found its way into the church in the area of missions. You say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, I believe that it's important to remember at least that no amount of financial support substitutes for our personal responsibility to reach out where we live day by day. You say, but I give a lot of money to missions. Yeah, I know, I know. But that still does not substitute for our personal responsibility to reach the world with the gospel. To reach our community, to reach our co-workers, to reach our bosses, to reach those in our classrooms, to reach people with the gospel, we're still responsible. Yes, we ought to give and yes, we ought to be uh, striving to reach the the, uh, the lost with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And honestly, let's be honest, it's admirable when someone gives and gives sacrificially to this purpose. However, it does not excuse their laziness personally. In fulfilling the commission that God's given each and every believer. As effective and as advantageous as technology is, I I am convinced. I am convinced that it will never replace the personal touch that only human beings can provide. Well, let's just get on the internet. Let's just go ahead and reach the world with the gospel. I'm all for that. But let me tell you something. God uses people. And I'm, I'm all for getting the gospel everywhere in any way we can. Boy, I'll tell you what, Brother Rigo uh, has a fellow that's feeding him names of people in Mexico City. And Brother Rigo will get on the phone with someone in Mexico City, and he will talk to them on a phone here in America, down in Mexico City. And lately he's had the opportunity, I think, to lead three or four people to Jesus Christ from a phone here in America, down in Mexico City. Now that's a wonderful thing. But may I ask you why there's nobody in Mexico City doing it? I am glad that they came to Christ. But let me tell you, he could reach far more people there probably in Mexico personally reaching out than just making a phone call here and there. And ultimately, that's still a personal touch because at least there's a voice on the end of it. At least there's somebody that says, I care. There's somebody that says, I love you. There's somebody on the other end that's a person and they may not be able to feel or touch that person, but they can hear them and they feel the empathy in their voice. There's something about, at least there's some sense of contact there. Let's just remove all contact. Let's just get on a computer and let's just type out an email. My friend, that can be effective, but it is not as effective as this. And I, don't, I want you to realize that what your coworkers need is this, not just this. I encourage you to reach out personally and touch their lives, to truly invite them out to church, invite them over to your home for something to eat, witness to them about Jesus Christ, take steps to make personal contact with people. That's how change comes, more readily than ever. God still uses people. The the, the truth is, I believe with all my heart, God's plan for world evangelism always includes his people. And I'm going to close with this one, even though I have two more after it. The reach of the gospel is only limited by us. Again, over there in our passage in the book of Acts, we see that the early church was given a commission that God had empowered them with the Holy Spirit. And they were told to go throughout the world to the uttermost part. But yet they found themselves confined to their own environment, their own city. The only thing that kept the gospel from going further was the people themselves. May I say today that if we don't reach the world with the gospel, it will not be God's fault. He has equipped us with every needed, necessary element. We have the word of God. We have the spirit of God. We have the commission of God. We have the authority of God to go into the world and reach the gospel. The only reason we'll not reach the world will be because of us. Now listen, I know there's a lot of churches and we could say, well, everybody needs to pull their weight. You know what? We can't count on anybody but us. You're the only person you can control. So control yourself. Do the right thing yourself. I'll do the right thing myself. And Lord willing, as a church, then if we all do the right thing personally, we'll do the whole right thing corporately. We work together for a common good, and that's the good in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're moving into missions conference. This is kind of the kickoff message, trying to help focus our attention on missions to kind of guide us and direct us to this thought process. May I say that, A church is a church, yes. But the goal and the purpose of a church does not end with simply providing social activity or fellowship for its members, my friend. That is a byproduct of a church. That is not the goal of a church. The goal of the church and the work of God is to reach the world with the gospel. And we have an opportunity and the privilege of being a part of that today. I want to encourage you to, to pray about what God would have you do in this area. Not just at giving financially, but in personally going. Not necessarily to Africa, maybe not going all the way to Russia or or around the world, but literally right where you live. Making an impact in your own home, among your own family, your own friends, and co-workers. Today, maybe you don't even know the Jesus Christ that we're speaking about. You know, the one that came 2,000 years ago and literally hung on Calvary. He was God in flesh and he suffered, he bled and he died and he was buried, (laughs) but he didn't stay dead. He rose again the third day. He's alive and well, seated at the right hand of the Father and he's willing to make intercession on your behalf. He's willing to go and say, listen, I paid for his sin. I paid for her sin. She no longer, he no longer has to deal with that. I dealt with it. And you do that by crying out to him and admitting your guilt before him, a holy God, and saying, I deserve hell, yes, but I also long for your forgiveness. You paid the price and I receive your son. I trust Jesus today as my savior. And I look to him to get me to heaven one day and to come fill my heart and life with the presence of the Holy Spirit. Boy, God will change your life today. He'll change your world today. Your world. If you'll just trust and receive the Lord. Maybe you're lost without Christ. You don't even know for sure if heaven it would be your home if you died today. You can settle that today. These things have I written. These things have I written. Why did he write them? These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that ye may know that ye have eternal life. Well, I'll tell you what, you can settle that today. Because we have a Bible that's from him. A love letter from God. If you're a child of God today, won't you start praying with us? Take that card and pray and ask God what he would have you do to be a part of reaching the world with the gospel through the missions program here at the church. We'll trust God with what he's going to do. We'll just trust him. He's always faithful. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for this time that we've had together. Lord, we thank you for the people of God. And Lord, just for the faithfulness of their, their missions giving through the year. Lord, they haven't missed a beat. Lord, we are so thankful, Father, for the faithfulness that they've demonstrated the people of God have. Lord, we are a blessed people today. You've been so good to us here. Help us, Lord, to continue to reach out into our own community and our own families and our own friends to personally be involved in telling others about you. And then, Lord, may we corporately come together and make a difference around the world through our missions giving here at the church. Now bless us. Lord, there may be someone here without Christ. Lord, today your Holy Spirit's walking these aisles and Father, he is able to pinpoint the need in each life. May he pinpoint a need in a person's life if they have yet to receive Christ and help them understand that Jesus is the only way, the truth, and the life. That they must trust and receive him today if they want to escape the penalty of sin. Father, please help them to come to Christ today. And Lord, for the believer, may we again, Father, just be open to your leadership and continue, Father, to seek your face. And if there's an area in our life that needs confessed, forsaken, then Lord, may we do so even this morning. In Christ's name, amen. Let's all stand to our feet. Every head bowed, every eye closed.